Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. If you love Atlanta, you can invest in the big picture. Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. I'm Erlon Woods. I'm Nigel Poor. We're the hosts and creators of Ear Hustle from PRX's Radiotopia. Ear Hustle is a show about life inside prison, but it's not your typical prison podcast. In this next season, we've got stories about the objects people keep inside their prison cells. About residents in a women's prison who say they want to stay there. And the most beautiful prison garden. Erlon, I will never forget it. Ear Hustle. Stories about life on the inside, told by those who live it. Find Ear Hustle wherever you get your podcasts. From WABE in Atlanta, this is Closer Look. I'm Rose Scott. Coming up on today's show, we'll meet Rachel Galloway, the new UK Council General for the Southeast. Now she'll talk about how southern states like Georgia can improve its partnership with the United Kingdom. And also, get this, she will assess her very first taste of southern barbecue. Looking forward to that. And later, how can our neighborhood libraries be part of climate change and other environmental-related initiatives? Well, over in DeKalb County, they have a plan to transform traditional landscaping around all of its 23 libraries. And this is a project that will be the first in the nation of its kind. And the nonprofit Roots Down is a big part of it. So we'll talk about all that, those conversations coming up but we'll begin with this attorneys for the family of Rayshard Brooks say it is confusing that the two Atlanta police officers who shot Brooks in a Wendy's drive-thru in 2020 will not face any criminal charges now body camera and video surveillance reveal APD officers Garrett Roth and Devin Bronson tried to arrest Brooks for a DUI a fight ensued Brooks grabbed one of the officers tasers and fired it at officer Roth As Brooks ran away, Roth fired his weapon, striking Brooks twice. Now, Special Prosecutor Pete Scandalaxis said the use of deadly force was justified under Georgia law. To conclude, Brosnan and Roth committed no crimes. Both acted as reasonable officers would under the facts and circumstances of the events of that night. night. Both acted in accordance with well-established law and were justified in the use of force regarding the situation. Now, the Brooks family attorney, L. Chris Stewart, specifically addressed that very issue in their own press conference. During that fight, they were justified in using deadly force, 100%. While he was on top of them, they didn't know if he was reaching for a gun or whatever. They could have used deadly force, and I would have backed any officer that did it. But they did not. But they decided to use lethal force as a man was running away 19 feet away. Autopsy results released days after the shooting death show Brooks died from organ damage and blood loss from those two gunshot wounds in his back. Now, yesterday's press conference took well over an hour. It included a breakdown of what the special prosecutors reviewed in determining whether or not to charge the Atlanta police officers. Now, also presenting was Danny Porter. He's a former Gwinnett County District Attorney. And I spoke with WABE's legal analyst Paige Pate after the press conference. First of all, your reaction to just how long this press conference was. Well, Rose, there was a lot of explaining to do, a lot of justification given for the ultimate decision not to charge these officers uh, in this case. And I think they focused a lot on the wrong issues. They focused on whether there was probable cause to arrest Mr. Brooks for DUI. That's not an issue. Whether there was probable cause to arrest him for trying to escape from the DUI arrest also not an issue. The only issue was, did the officers have a reasonable fear for their lives and were authorized to use deadly force at the time they shot Mr. Brooks? Mm -hmm. And in that analysis, these guys leaned on some 11th Circuit authority, which normally applies to civil cases, qualified immunity decisions. So it's the type of decision ultimately that would normally be left up to a jury. But obviously, in this case, you've got several prosecutors now reviewing this to prevent these officers from being charged and the case never reaching a jury. And Paige, we know you you have to go in a second, but I want to get your thoughts on this because Pete Scandalak has brought in Danny Porter. You and I are both familiar with him, but he also talked about we hired experts for video analysis, experts for human reaction time, experts to break down the video, and he requested all their findings be in, in writing. You can't deny that this was an exhaustive and and very detailed investigation 
But even through all of that, you're saying that there are some issues, there's some optics involved here that you as, as a defense attorney, as a legal expert here, you have some issues with. Well, absolutely, Rosen. Yes. Look, I, I applaud the transparency here. I think it's great that the people will get to see what sort of analysis was applied to the case. What did the experts determine? But look, in 99.9% of cases where there's a violent crime, if the police find probable cause, that person's being charged and it's going to a jury. Mm -hmm. So all of this analysis, all of this time, all of this expense was applied before. Uh, the decision to make a formal charge and to send the case to a jury. So do we treat police officers differently? Well, clearly we do in the civil context, but you would hope not in the criminal context. But I think this proves differently. And Paige, finally, before we let you go, Danny Porter talking about and Pete Scandalax is talking about, look, we looked at all uses of force. What we wanted to focus on was there a use of deadly force, citing that a taser is a deadly weapon. Yes, and Rose, they're right about that. Under Georgia law, a taser can be a deadly weapon. So can a rock. Uh, so can a stick. It depends on how they're being used at the time. And that's what's critical here. Was Mr. Brooks in a position to use his taser in a way that would have killed one of the officers? And I think from what we actually saw in the video, that was not possible. These officers at that moment in time were not in danger of being killed by Mr. Brooks. So I disagree with um, Mr. Scandalakis, Mr. Porter. I respect them. They've been around a long time. Obviously, they're looking at this from a different perspective. This case should have gone to a jury. WABE's legal analyst Paige Payton. You'll hear more from Paige again in just a moment. As Lily Oppenheimer reports, the decision not to bring charges against the two officers comes may come as a surprise to some legal analysts, but does not shock many of those who protested Brooks' death in 2020. Special Prosecutor Pete Skandalakis says the use of deadly force was justified under Georgia law. WABE's legal analyst Paige Pate says it's not about the finding, it's about the process. Ultimately, I think it's the wrong decision. Uh, these officers may not be guilty of killing Mr. Brooks, but they're not entitled to immunity from prosecution. Activist Jonathan Likes was at the University Avenue Wendy's in 2020 when protesters shut down the nearby highway connector and burnt the restaurant to the ground. This is not a mistake. This is not a new thing. This is not a surprise. These systems were created to do exactly what they're doing. And the killing of Rashard Brooks proves that time and time again. Autopsy results from the Fulton Medical Examiner's Office show Brooks died from organ damage and blood loss from gunshot wounds to his back. The two officers are back on the police force. Meanwhile, multiple civil cases are still ongoing. Lily Oppenheimer, WABE News. In other news, a majority of those families now are out of the severely dilapidated Forest Cove apartments in South Atlanta. It's the latest milestone in a relocation process that has taken months, as we hear from Stephanie Stokes. More than 120 families were out of the rundown complex by the end of last week. That's according to the city, which is leading the relocation effort. Atlanta Mayor Andre Dickens got involved when he took office this year. He visited the complex after WABE aired a year-long investigation into the poor conditions. The roughly 200 residents at Forest Cove dealt with rats, mold, and burned-out buildings for years. The families who've moved now are located in housing throughout the metro area. Forest Cove is a federally subsidized complex with a private owner. That owner, Millennia, still hopes to redevelop the apartments. Stephanie Stokes, WABE News. Democratic candidate for Georgia Governor Stacey Abrams wants to address climate change and protect Georgia communities from its impacts. As we hear from Emily Jones, she reports on a plan that Abrams released Tuesday. The plan covers energy efficiency, the resilience of the state's medical system, and job training for work in clean energy. Abrams focuses on the state's response to weather-related disasters, like the hurricanes that have devastated South Georgia and the coast in recent years. She wants to improve the resilience of those areas and create state-sponsored shelters for storm evacuations. Abrams also wants to use money from the Federal Inflation Reduction Act to create a green development bank to drive investment in clean energy, energy efficiency, and other sustainability measures. Her opponent, Governor Brian Kemp, has not laid out an environmental plan, though in the last year he has announced major electric vehicle plants coming to the state. 
Emily Jones, WABE News. And not to be outdone, Georgia Governor Brian Kemp did have a plan that he announced yesterday. He plans to allow $125 million in federal COVID-19 relief money to expand school-based health centers. Now, Kemp made his announcement yesterday, and at the State Department of Education will give out grants of up to a million dollars apiece to start health centers that will care for students and some community members. The funds will be available to schools that get federal money federal money because large shares of students come from families in poverty. Now, some opponents have attacked Kemp for doing for doling out the money as he runs for re-election against Stacey Abrams. But despite this, they say he's also opposed the passage of some COVID-19 relief bills. This is Closer Look from WABE in Atlanta. We're back in a moment. Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. You can go beyond giving to impact. Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. The field of mental health counseling is growing rapidly, and Richmond Graduate University can equip you with everything you need as a licensed professional counselor while integrating your faith into your clinical practice. Programs are offered in Atlanta, Chattanooga, and online. Apply today at richmont.edu. That's R-I-C-H-M-O-N-T dot E-D-U. And Closer Look continues from WABE in Atlanta. I'm Rose Scott. The United Kingdom, or as some of us plain folks say, the UK, is among Georgia's top export markets. Now, of course, Canada sits atop that list and followed by Germany, China, Mexico, Singapore, Japan, and then the UK. And despite the pandemic and the supply chain nightmare, our state continues to enjoy a pretty robust trade partnership with these other nations. But there's always room for improvement, and there's also a need to keep these global relationships healthy. That's just one of the roles that consulates that are located in various states play. We're going to meet now a newly appointed Council General for the United Kingdom here in Atlanta for the Southeast, Rachel Galloway to get the official title so y'all don't send me an email. She's the new British Council General for the Southeastern part of the United States, and she joins me now. Welcome. Thank you very much. Now, I have used CG in the past, Madam Council. What do you prefer? Because folks will send me an email and say, you did not address this person properly. So I'm going to ask you, how should I address you properly? I think in this situation, you would probably best address me as Rachel. See, that's what I would say. That feels like the right answer. Feels like the right answer. Well, welcome to Atlanta. How long have you now officially been in Atlanta? So I've been here five weeks. So we're really just in the phase of settling in, working out what we're doing, finding out what my job is, my house, all of that. I got to ask you this. How's the traffic for you? It is a shock. (laughs) I thought you were going to say another S word. (laughs) I may have thought the other S word, but I, I wasn't going to say it. Um, it's just a shock. Like yeah. There's the caricature we were just discussing before we came that when you come to America, everything's big. There's the caricature that everything's big. Mm-hmm. You get here and everything's going to be so much bigger. But I've genuinely never been on an eight lane motorway before I've I've not seen anything like it and you know once or twice we've missed the turn and we're just like we'll just keep going (laughs) we don't know what state we'll end up in but we're not crossing the line so and I think I still trying to work out but on my first weekend I said to the kids in the house right we'll walk to the shop and buy some food and Mm -hmm. then I put it into Google and it was like you can't walk there yeah I was like why can't I walk there and I was like oh there's no sidewalk like I'm, I'm, so I'm just getting used to it. It's and, new. And everything that you've said is everything that we talk about on this program, whether it's where are the sidewalks to how do we ease congestion and traffic. So I will tell you, Rachel, welcome to Atlanta. We love having <laughs> you. Um, but Thank you know you. what? I want to go back bef- a little bit because you come to Atlanta after four years in North Macedonia? Yes. As an ambassador? Yes. What was that like? It was It was brilliant, actually. It was a How really was that traffic? A lot less traffic, <laughs> a lot less traffic. Um, I don't. I think the largest roads are two lanes, mm-hmm. so uh, really very different. Um, it was a really great experience. I was there for a really amazing four years in that country. Uh, they 
took on really interesting international opportunities. They became a member of NATO. Mm-hmm. They were the 30th member of NATO. We were expecting them to be the last new member for a while, but things have changed a little bit this year. Yeah. Well, listen, and in, in you all in the UK, look, you were over in North Macedonia. With the, you're in the midst of Brexit. All that was happening. Then the pandemic, uh, obviously the Russian-Ukraine war, all of this in the role as an ambassador, how how, have you hand, how did you handle all of that? Because there's a lot that happened while you were there. Yeah, so the first thing I think is that we've moved into a period of time where we're just it's just constant change. And it means that actually how we work, how we do our jobs, how we live our lives is actually very different. And we need people around us who are able to lead through that change Mm -hmm. it's not necessarily the old traditional model of the big man who sets the policy and all the decisions Mm -hmm. we actually need people who are able to kind of move with these changing situations and find the right people who can help work through it so I found it like the most interesting and exciting for years but with some really hard moments because people's real lives were being affected were being devastated i mean we're looking now you know at the energy situation Mm -hmm. that we see in europe and it's going to be a very hard winter and there are people who are going to be facing blackouts Mm -hmm. or are going to be facing really difficult choices do they heat their houses or do they feed their children so these policies which you know they're not just big policies for discussions between politicians in Mm -hmm. meeting rooms they're actually affecting people's lives so I really love my job but there were times when I didn't sleep that well at night. Let me ask you this because we're in this space now obviously I mentioned the pandemic because that is still an issue but you think of that and you think of climate change which now everyone the last few years it's like some people got the memo we really need to address this mm-hmm. because it's a few your kids the future for what will their future look like based on what we do in terms of policies and, and initiatives to ensure that they have a, a cleaner no, no pun intended future and safe and, and healthy future uh, what do you say to them about your job and, and do they ask questions like so mom exactly what do you do now as a council general in atlanta yeah so they do ask me questions like that and uh, sometimes they don't understand <laughs> what I'm doing at all. Uh, Sometimes it's really weird and I find it difficult to explain to them, but actually climate is one that's really easy Mm -hmm. to explain to them. They understand it. They've seen over the last three summers, they've seen the forest fires. Mm -hmm. They've seen them, they understand the devastation that that caused. I think in fact, they're much more aware of it than some of the adults Mm -hmm. you meet. That's very true. Uh, They want to talk about recycling. You know, they, they understand that. They ask me where they should put things. You know, so they they have that understanding. My greatest moment, though, of them understanding what I do was I was reading my daughter a Wonder Woman story, and it said Diana, who was a um, uh, the uh, ambassador from Thrace, mm-hmm. and Mummy said she, Mummy, Wonder Woman's an ambassador just like you. <laughs> and I'm like, yes, that's exactly right. Yes, I am Wonder Woman. <laughs> I am Wonder you know. Woman. Um, so I think they understand that. Um, I think that they've been very privileged by being, mm-hmm. uh, having, <laughs> they've not had the same childhood I did. You know, I grew up in Manchester in the north of England. My husband was in Birmingham in the Midlands. And they've lived in Macedonia, Brussels. Yeah. Now they're in Atlanta. I mean, they've seen the world in a way that I never had at their age. And they're very lucky. Do you have just a similar duties and responsibilities? I, I think Andrew Staunton was the your your predecessor there. Or do you come in also with wanting to talk to you, you know, folks who are here, you know, the natives from the UK, and, and get a feel for what their issues are? Do you start with meeting with the governor and, and the mayor? Like, how do you prioritize what you want to do? So I think that's the biggest question. Uh, because actually the thing that's really, really struck me about since arriving here is how much is going on. So, yes, we have some priorities as the British government. You know, we want to work together on some of the things you've already mentioned, infrastructure, clean Mm -hmm. energy. You know, there's all these opportunities. But I'm coming to a place that's growing, that's in some ways booming. Mm -hmm. And the question is, how do I prioritize my time? How do I choose between having meetings with people on infrastructure policy or the work we're doing already, looking at how we're going to support Atlanta Pride? Mm -hmm. You know, it's just that whole agenda. 
and I'm giving myself a little bit of time. I'm saying, okay, I've arrived. It's the midterms. It's sort of politically very interesting. I think that's the right phrase. <laughs> it's politically interesting. It's very kind of you, Rachel. Thank you. <laughs> There's a lot going on. And actually, my first few months are actually trying to sort of see, well, okay, mm-hmm. where can I, working with, I have an excellent team in the consulate already. How can I, working with them, really make the best use of my time to deliver for the UK and for the Southeast and have the most impact? How can I find the things that already feel where there's opportunity? Mm-hmm. So we have something in the UK we've been calling the levelling up agenda. How do we uh, take the fact that there's lots of money and business that comes into London? Mm-hmm. How do we spread that across the country? How do we make sure that gets to the north of England? How do we make sure that everyone benefits from this? And I come to the southeast, and I feel like there's a similar conversation. There's all this growth and it's booming. But how does it get to everyone? How does it get into every community? And how do we make sure that with the challenges we've got in some other areas, how it doesn't impact some communities so much more than others? And let's be fair, you're in Atlanta, but you're not the Council General just for Atlanta. It's for the Southeast. We'd love Mm -hmm. you just to focus on Atlanta and Georgia, but we know that's not fair because you've got to visit these other states as well. Mm -hmm. So if someone is listening with saying, well, Rose, you you know, ask her about what she's going to do from us over in Alabama. How will you will you be able to visit these other states as well? So, as I say, I've got a great team. My plan is that myself and the team will keep going out to the different states and taking the different opportunities, because, again, your question, I think, is the right one. How do you Mm -hmm. prioritize? So in North Carolina, we're already having conversations there about uh, offshore wind. Right? Really? Really interesting. Mm-hmm. Fits with this sort of clean energy, mm-hmm. climate change agenda. So maybe I'll go there, focus on that. But, you know, someone comes in the team and says to me, there's this great opportunity in Alabama. And by you going, mm-hmm. we can really help take it forward. But I think the challenge is how do you build relationships with people? That's really hard, I think, over an area this big. And that's the thing I'm really thinking about how I'm going to do. Because if you don't go to places often, it's much harder mm-hmm. to build good relationships with people and while you and your team are are assessing that and prioritizing are there certain duties that you have to fulfill that her majesty her majesty in the whole they say look this is what you have to do while you're in this position yes there are some things that we always have to do so we have consular support if there are Mm -hmm. british citizens in need yes we help them and that is right and that is our responsibility and we have to be prepared we have preparations for hurricane seasons we have preparations you know very sad you know someone comes on holiday and their husband passes away and you know so we've got all that Uh, we have the trade support we work with British American businesses going who want support in both directions we have to try and help them either provide the support they need or point them in the direction of where they can get that support because there are others who are able to give that support so I think there are some requirements Mm -hmm. requirements to have certain political relationships requirements to lobby where i need to uh, lobby for something which is in the uk's particular interest but then within that i feel like there's quite a lot of opportunity to say look at atlanta look what's happening here look what's Mm -hmm. happening with creative industries we need to be doing more and selling that back to the uk well and that's interesting because when i come into the segment i mentioned that you know obviously canada you know which is our neighbor up here uh they sit atop that list in terms of Georgia's the international trade. I mean, but I was I was surprised to see that Germany was second. I really thought it was going to be China, but it was mm-hmm. Germany, China, Mexico, Singapore, Japan, and then the UK. Mm-hmm. How? What is the assessment now as it relates to the supply chain in the UK? Are you all experience? Well, we all are, but is the gridlock even a, a lot more severe because of all the? different nations that you all are, are trying to do trade with and then also considering with the pandemic and everything else and then with brexit and all that how are y'all doing in terms of the supply chain so like a lot of other countries we are facing some global supply chain issues um and you mentioned some of the causes but actually we're seeing another cause now with the droughts in china and companies not able to use hydropower so are stopping operations so actually we spent the last Uh, period working on a global supply chain strategy putting resilience measures in place what what we need to do whether it's working with international partners we're not protectionist we have Mm -hmm. a very free market approach to international trade so working with international partners to make sure that their solutions are not to put in more market barriers Uh, looking to where we should be encouraging UK business to be developing its own Mm -hmm. uh, supply 
looking at where we actually need to be innovative and say to encourage demand to go in a different direction. Actually, we've been working very closely with the US on this and supporting some of the international work the US has done, uh, holding events to try and agree some policies around this. So I don't think we're seeing now worse problems than other countries. And I think we're seeing in a lot of areas we're actually managing to resolve the underpinning issues. Let me get your thoughts on this, your personal thoughts. Um, with Brexit, should that have been rolled out differently? Should This is your opinion. I don't, know if they're, I don't want to get you in trouble, but uh, how could that have probably rolled out differently? Or what concerns did you have with all of this and, and what's happened since? So I think it comes back to the point I made at the beginning about the fact that we just keep going through change. Mm-hmm. So I think if we'd been doing it in a vacuum, it would have been fine because we would have followed a certain track and every decision would have been made at a certain pace. But of course, the world kept on moving Mm -hmm. while we were leaving the European Union and other uh, issues were coming in and out at the same time, whether it's other countries' election Mm-hmm. processes you know you can be completely negotiations in the European Union uh, people know all the different uh, timelines of elections mm-hmm. and then as I say we ran into a pandemic mm-hmm. we ran into other issues and I think that probably made it more complicated at times but the fact is it was always going to be complicated we were leaving uh, a sort of a legal relationship yeah and to unpick that the one I am um, the metaphor I quite liked, which I heard someone use, which was the cake was baked and now we were trying to get the eggs back. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> I, like, I quite like that. You know, it's not the easiest thing to do. No, so. No. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so I think the complexity of it when faced with a world that was just moving so dynamically, you might not have done everything in the order that you did it. Mm-hmm. But what choice was there as things were moving so fast? Your level of optimism now moving forward as it relates to all of this, what's the outlook or what do you hope then for the UK? And Do you give it a timeline that maybe we stabilize, whatever that stabilization looks like, two years, three years or? So my optimism actually comes from a strangely, um, a, a couple of negatives. So let's look at, you know, you mentioned climate, mm-hmm. right? So, you know, it, it's a negative. We're seeing droughts, we're seeing fires, we're seeing hurricanes, we're seeing things that are really impacting on people's lives. And yet last year, during a pandemic, the UK was able to bring all of those countries together for COP26. It was able to reach agreements. It was able to reach agreements on mitigation, financing, adaptation. So we are able to do that. The other negative is let's look what happened six months ago today, which was Mm -hmm. the start of the war in Mm -hmm. Ukraine. And again, the UK has been able to work incredibly closely with our international partners. We've had greater agreement in the UN, in the International Criminal Court, the largest ever package of sanctions. We've actually been able to bring people together in different forums, the G7, in NATO. And I think it just goes to show that, yes, even within these challenges, you can see how the UK will just continue to take its place in the world as the fifth largest economy. Well, you mentioned climate. You've been, that's been a big focus of you, but uh, for you. And I I want to focus on that for a second because you all are going to keep the coal-powered stations in England at least up through the winter, right? Because there was some a lot of controversy around you know what y'all would do with your coal plants. Yeah, so I think the answer is that we've basically decommissioned most of most. our our coal plants. We've moved very, very heavily into wind power and we're looking and continuing to expand nuclear and hydro power as well. But obviously the winter has become very difficult. We don't have the gas storage facilities and we're going to obviously be working on developing those to a greater extent as well. So I think the answer is the small amount of coal. Small amount of coal. Would be continuing. But we are leading the Powering Past Coal Alliance and we want to find a way to take as many countries as we can past coal. When would you have the meet and greet Rachel Galloway for your fellow Brits? Is that correct? Brits? Am I? I'm not yeah, offending Brits. anybody. No, I don't no. want to get in trouble. No, no trouble. <laughs> no trouble. So I've already met some. I was invited by the British America Business Council. Had a that's a British American Business Council. Yeah, yeah, there's one here in Atlanta. Never knew that. I've been in here for twenty some years. And see, yeah, there's one in Atlanta. There's lots of them in different places across the country. So uh, I had the opportunity to go and meet them last week and talk to all those businesses about what they're trying to achieve here 
in Atlanta and here in Georgia more widely. Um, and then I'll just keep doing that. that. That's the plan. Just keep getting out and seeing people. Well, speaking of getting out, I understand you got to try some Southern barbecue. I did get to try Southern barbecue. Now, I'm going to tell you, Rachel, this is a big deal around these parts. <laughs> yes. Um, so I don't want to get any of the language wrong. So I don't I, I don't know who's exactly Southern barbecue I was eating, <laughs> but it was extremely good. I'm a big fan. I didn't know what everything was. Like, mm. I'm like, so what is white sauce? It's not like okay, very defined. Okay. But it makes me laugh, though, because we bought a barbecue. We're here. We should buy a new barbecue. And every shop you go in has like... 20 30 different types of barbecue yes. sauces smoking chips we're like what do we get we're like, i don't know just buy three <laughs> <laughs> so i i don't want to get anybody in trouble because i, I have my favorites okay you know yes. I, i'll write them down for you. okay good good but what did you think of it i thought it was amazing yeah i just i thought it was really flavorsome and just a really nice filling good meal have, and the kids were very happy as well yeah a lot of sauce now yes. uh have you had grits no, I haven't had grits. <laughs> I don't like the word, but I will try them. <laughs> you don't like the word? In the UK, in Britain, grit means like, it's like soil, like. Oh. But I, like, I know it's not that, but like, it, I have to get past it in my head. But I will try grits, I promise. I promise I'll try grits. And, and shrimp, shrimp and grits and oh. um, chicken and waffles. So... I've had an enormous amount of chicken. I don't think anyone's ever eaten as much chicken in their entire life as I've eaten in the last five weeks. But I have. But the kids were like, why do they put waffles with it? I was like, I don't know, but it's their culture. Just tell their wacky Americans, I don't just eat yeah. it, kids. Exactly. It's their culture. Obey their culture. Yeah, yeah just kids. Um, have you had, uh, like, greens? So you have had, like, you know. Yes, okay. I've had greens. So I had fried green tomatoes. Okay. Pronounced right. correctly there. Yes, there you go. Um, which were very good, but it made me laugh again because it was like served as the starter. And it was just huge. <laughs> I was like, how am I supposed to eat a meal after having this? I was I was imagining like a little tomato, not like. You never had, you had never had fried green I'd tomatoes? I'd never had fried green tomatoes. They're very, have you ever had fried pickles? Oh, I saw those on a menu. I've not had them yet. I'll try them. I will try them. That's that's just me. No, no, I love pickles. <laughs> I love pickles, and obviously, if I'm here, I have to love fried things. So. And you see these emails, Rose. You're letting her off the hook too easy. They want to know what I'm not. I am not going to ask you where you got your barbecue from. No, I that can't. Would just, I can't. Don't I can't don't even. Say. I don't even. Yeah, I can't that, say. I want people will be meeting you outside in the parking lot. Um, but finally, as you wrap up, I know you're a big sports fan, mm -hmm. and you made it to a um, a football match. Yes, yes, we made it to the football, as not, we say. Yeah. <laughs> So yes. at least you have that. But you haven't made it. You were, you were in North Carolina. You haven't yes. been to an Atlanta United game, obviously. No. So I already had an event, but my husband and my son went to the Atlanta United game last week, which okay. they really loved. But what with the World Cup coming here, mm -hmm. and we've got Wales playing the U.S. in the run-up to that, um, yeah. it's happening very soon, next month. So we'll be holding an event. Who are you going to root for? As the United Kingdom's Consul General, I'll be rooting for Wales <laughs> all the way. Yeah, sorry about that. But um, but in other matches, we'll support the US. And we've also, since we've been here, the uh, England's women won the uh, yeah. Euros, which yeah. I got to watch. In, Congratulations um, on that. Uh, yeah, which was really great. And we will get you to maybe a Falcons game or a oh, Braves game. Oh, I love that. Yes. Yeah. The, so, it all looks, it's, it's actually just so nice. Again, you know, there's so much opportunity in sports. There's so much enthusiasm here for it. And we had our first ever sports mission to Atlanta earlier mm -hmm. this year. And we've got lots going on on the back of that, whether it's eSport or, you know, racing, the World All Cup. There's stuff. lots going on. Get you out to uh, Hampton for uh, some NASCAR as well. Ah, yes. Rachel Galloway is a new British Council General for the Southeast here in the United States, based right here in Atlanta. Thank you so much for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank Good you. conversation. Come back. Thank you. I will. Thank you. And Closer Look continues from WABE in Atlanta. I'm Rose Scott. Think about this for a moment. How could our neighborhood libraries that we all love be part of climate change and other environmental-related projects? Well, let's find out. Because over in DeKalb County, there is a plan to transform what they call traditional landscaping around all of its 23 libraries. And it's an initiative that's going to be first of its kind in the nation. And joining me now with more is Jamie Rosenthal. He's the founder and CEO of Roots Down because they're a big part of this and he's been on the program before. Jamie, welcome. 
Thank you. Thanks for having me back. Jamie has a shirt that says Food Earth People. That's right. Says it all, right? That's right. (laughs) For our listeners who may not be familiar with Roots Down, tell them what you do, why you do it, and how long you've been doing it. Uh, Well, I've been doing this for a long time. Um, I've been in this space for about 20 years. Mm -hmm. I've been a land steward and former farmer and um, advocate and educator for for a long time. Um, Yeah, Roots Down is focusing on the landscaping industry and changing over the landscaping industry from the traditional mow and blow into Mm -hmm. a force for ecological change. Um, and environmental change. Um, there's a lot of money and wealth in the landscaping industry, and we want to really shift the paradigm over to better environmental stewardship. And you know, there's there's just a lot of money there, so we need to do better with our with our money. How does better? When you say better stewardship, how do you define that? And is that is is that something that can be easily identified and then executed? Yeah. So you know. In everyday landscapes, I mean, we, we're out in, in public all the time. Mm-hmm. And we hear, you know, it's ubiquitous in all of our landscapes and all of our neighborhoods. We hear mowers and blowers going. All um, the time. All the time. <laughs> and especially during the pandemic, I think a lot of people noticed those sounds going on. And I think that that has brought a lot of um, awareness to us using those budgets for, um, for, for bettering the landscaping industry. And that just means like less fossil fuels, less reliant on chemical mm-hmm. uh, dependencies on, on, on spraying herbicides and pesticides mm-hmm. and tending the earth the way the earth needs to be tended. So our soils can, can grow wonderful things like fruit trees and pollinator habitat. And, and, and does it also include in how we, we water, you know, using more rain barrels, you know, oh my conserving gosh. all the, yes. listen, I got an email one time from a listener that it was about five pages long. I'm exaggerating about why am I not talking about rain barrels? Right. And I said, look, I get it. I understand. But, you know, I don't need five pages. But it's important. All of that, you say, whether it's a, from the rain barrel to what kind of pesticides and sprays we use, all this is part of the landscape and industry, and we can bring some sustainable model to it. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, we all walk by our landscapes again in our neighborhoods and see the sprinklers on after a big rain, you know. And yeah, that, I think just modeling, modeling good behavior, modeling climate resiliency right here, I believe, in our neighborhoods where we can see it, visually see it, will help us solve larger global climate solutions, you know. So, so let's talk about this partnership now with, you know, this is with DeKalb County. Exactly how did all this come about before we get into what you all are going to be doing? Yeah, well, it's been a year since mm-hmm. I've been on your show. Yeah. And, um, you know, we started the Fruitful Communities Initiative. I remember. Um, we started working with Commissioner Ted Terry and want to thank him big time for all of the wonderful uh, partnership um, in all of DeKalb County. And we started the Fruitful Communities Initiative and we started working very closely with the library systems. And we started putting some gardens in. We started talking about, you know, climate uh, resiliency plans and, and changing over the landscapes to better, more productive landscapes. Mm-hmm. And, you know, out of this work that we have done, we started kind of, you know, the with just an idea. Um, we started working with his team and DeKalb County on policy. So we worked on this resolution to, as we were building landscapes, we worked on this really wonderful, uh, fruitful libraries resolution. And um, we built this resolution, which is the promise, and it's an ambitious plan for DeKalb County to change over 23 libraries into productive landscapes for their citizens. So it's kind of a Kind of a big deal. I'm pinching myself every day. Yeah, because uh, you're right. And I did my research. I just don't take your word for it because you put in a press release. But I do like you, Jamie. I couldn't <laughs> find another initiative that focused solely on libraries and, and, and landscaping as part of some type of environmental, you know, sustainability, you know, initiative. So this is a first of its kind in the nation. So what does it look yeah. like? Someone listening may say, well, so what? I'm, I'm going to go to the DeKalb Library and it's just going to have gardens and what exactly will this entail? Well, it's gonna take it's gonna take a while. Um, planning doesn't happen, you know. This stuff doesn't happen overnight. Rome wasn't built in a day, um, so we want to focus on the game plan is education and advocacy, and that's really what we are building. We've been building the scaffolding for a year. We built mm-hmm. what we call the Growers Program at okay. Piedmont at Piedmont Tech, which is going to be educating the landscapers just to do step one, which is less blowing, less mowing, right? Okay, so you first you're starting with changing the mindset of folks who are to doing the landscaping. Yes, change the mindset, get them to adopt. Ad- some new policies and practices 
Okay, I'm with you. Yeah, we got to educate the workforce. If we want to make change, that's the first you know educational tool. We built an advocacy uh, wing of our organization called the Green Hive, which is a leadership program for youth 18 to 24. And um, we built a lot of policy, uh, you know, recommendations around how they work with with local government to make change because they're, the you know that group of people really anxious. Mm-hmm. So we've been building this backswell for a long time, and then this culminated into this fruitful libraries resolution, working with the library systems because they were willing, and you know the commissioners were all really excited about the possibilities in the library systems because every person in every walk of life comes to a library. Absolutely. If you're just joining us, I'm in conversation with Jamie Rosenthal. He's the founder and CEO of Roots Down, and we're talking about their partnership with the Cap County because they have a plan to transform the traditional landscape, you know, around 23 of these libraries in DeKalb County that are going to be also more environmentally friendly, so to speak. But also, this was interesting that stood out to me. It said the new landscaping will include edible, native, and Susanna Capaluto will love this because she's into bees, and pollinator-friendly plants. Yes, absolutely. I think in order to heal our planet and um, fix all the problems with modern day landscaping, we need resiliency and we need um, diversity. So the landscapes will really kind of focus on on diverse, you know, um, species, like whether it be, you know, pears and plums, things that grow native native here, um, leaning into things that could just be picked and harvested in a passive in a passive way, along with pollinator friendly plants. It'll look like a beautiful botanical garden. It's not going to look like a farm with row crops. It's going to look like a beautiful. Oh, why not have some corn and we uh, for sure work working <laughs> some of that in the landscape because your library get some pure corn <laughs> and they have been. You know, some of the libraries we have planted um, in uh, Commissioner Marita Davis Johnson's district. Mm-hmm. Um, she was a pioneer of this, by the way. Yes. So we want to thank her. Five of her libraries have these gardens, and people are harvesting tomatoes and squash and zucchini and that blueberries. Is, that's cool. That that is, that is real cool. And then it goes into my next question, Jamie, because I know someone listening says, "Okay, are you all going to use?" I guess the results from this first project, the fruitful libraries are using that as a metric to say, hey, we can take this even further and this is the success, this is how we determine that it's working. Yes, absolutely. We we didn't just test tiny. I think in DeKalb County, the second largest county in Georgia, we tested with, with them and it worked really well. So we wanna replicate this. So when you say it worked, what are you going by, just people leaving a comment in the comment box saying, this is awesome, I would love the way it looks, or are you able, is there some type of, uh, of tangible metric that you can use? Was there a, re- a reduction in water usage? Or give us something that you can say, hey, this will work, because we already started the process. Well, really big win. Um, at the Clarkson Library, we converted the whole library over to a productive urban landscape. We took a lot of some of the stuff that was half dead, like the roses that were dying and, you know, um, who let the roses die? I mean, it just happens. You know, some of these plant choices that we have are, are very limited, you and let they, the roses they die. I know, I know. And um, well, bad. Maybe you know, like over years of of you know improper management, some of those things just you know fall fall to the wayside. But yeah, this we're you know we're testing it with with the libraries, and um, we that library didn't have a mower or a blower for mm-hmm. many months. Sure. So that's a pretty tangible. Wow. See, this is why when I, I have this segment, I just got an email from Steve. Rain barrels are a joke. Please call them water tanks. Otherwise, <laughs> good show. See, yeah. see what I see what I have to deal with, Jamie? Or mosquito habitat. I I mean I kind I mean, of I like agree. Steve. Steve's a water guy. He, yeah. he emails me all the time. But like, really, Steve? Yeah. It's not just and Steve may be right. It's not just one thing. It's not one thing that can help you know the landscaping industry. But why is he calling rain barrels a joke? Well. I think it's. I think it could. Have be, I opened up? Some, have I opened up Pandora's box here? You might have opened up a can. Oh of my! Do I need to do another segment on this? We could do. We could do. Because plain segment. folks like me, we we see rain barrels in people's. And you ask them, they go, "It's my rain barrel." Now here y'all come with this water tank. When I think of water tank, like I'm from St. Louis, mm-hmm. and there's this huge water tank off of folks from St. Louis will know off a of Natural Bridge Road as you go into St. Louis County. That's it's huge. It's right. that's a water tank to me. Nobody in the city of Atlanta has a water tank that size. So when I think water tank, I think that. Not anyway. Steve, stop emailing me. <laughs> I'm That's also hilarious. tired. Yeah, I get you. It was a long day yesterday. So, but so yeah, it's a start in terms of how you all will be able to use use the model for the libraries. And then, do you can you take it even further beyond libraries, Jamie? 
Yes, that's a really good question, Rose. And I think that we we want that to be the living example, the learning hub for how we change the parks departments, how we change Mm -hmm. churches. Let's think about, you know, uh, property management, apartment complexes. I think that this is just a way for us to be able to make that change. Well, let's be really clear because we have landscapers that come here. Yes. Um, We could probably... We talked about this last time. I'm going to get me in trouble. Yes, yes. We talked about this last time and we could change, if we're going to change the industry educating them they could be these landscapers can be put and we should program. be a model i mean our landscaping should be the model of what we're covering i guess in a sense yeah i'll hold you to that this might be my last show jamie oh no know. <laughs> yeah but after library so you say apartment complexes or, or condo complexes or, yeah or, or any other entity that has some, some landscaping that could benefit from this type of project yeah, absolutely. I mean, think, you know, just think about anything from big to small. I mean, we were talking to uh, Coca-Cola recently and their, their, you know, campus, like think of large campuses. I mean, we are partnered um, through our Green Hive work with um, Georgia State University, mm-hmm. Emory and Agnes Scott. They all have environmental uh, initiatives. Well, and DeKalb, along with Agnes Scott, and they've worked together. They have a, a, a very sustainable initiative that they started some years ago. So, what you're saying, what we're talking about, really does present itself as it takes a holistic approach, public and private partnerships, oh, yeah. nonprofits, for-profits, all coming together. Since you know we're all out in this space, we're all on this path of how do we preserve the earth for what we have left because apparently you know, we're all gonna, it's burning up mm. at a faster pace than it has been. So all of this is a holistic approach. What we're really talking about here. Yeah, I think it's a, it's a visual approach, a local, hyper-local approach where we could see the results happening in front of us. Global climate issues are really hard sometimes to grasp and understand. And this stuff we could see right here in our own neighborhoods happening. And it just makes us, you know, better stewards of, of, the, of the planet on a, on a whole. And if folks think that we're making this up, and I love this, this fact here, and this is according to the California Air Resources Board, that they identify that even one hour of leaf blowing could equal as much smog and air pollution as a car driving over a thousand miles from Atlanta to Montreal, Canada. Now, someone listening says, oh, come on, Jamie. Rose. Well, they're going to they're gonna want to pick apart those facts. Yeah. They're going to want to say, well, not my leaf blower, because my leaf bro- blower has a special <laughs> filter on it. Right. You know, so we can pick apart those facts. But but yes, I think that the, a lot of the the um, data and evidence um, is there. It's there. It's that, you know, we are we can do better than four cycle engines. We can do better than burning up fossil fuels to to manicure our our lawns that don't really give us a whole lot back. And so what role are you all playing then are you, besides setting, you know, sort of the, the laying out the plan, starting with education? That's you all that will talk to the folks working in DeKalb County that work in the landscaping in that area. That's where you all come in. Absolutely. Our, our core of our business model um, and our mission is education and advocacy. Um, we really focus on, on those things because we'd rather teach people to fish than fish for them. And we're really excited about launching our, our, you know, our growers program with Piedmont Tech next month. Um, this will be a certification process to teach the landscaping industry how to move into this new marketplace. It's a mark. I mean, it is a market. The the environmentally friendly landscaping is a market, just like the the automobile has been changing over mm-hmm. to um, battery powered. Before I let you go, because I think your story, your personal story, your backstory is <laughs> is interesting too. And I know I was teasing you a little bit, but it was all in fun because oh, yeah. you got into this. I mean, you were Fashion photographer, correct? In my in my past, I've been many things, but yes, a fashion photographer, um, a landscaper, and a farmer. Um, and I don't want to age myself, but I've been a land steward for almost two decades. So, yeah. so yeah, I've come, I've done many angles, but um, you know, I've seen where I can make a difference in society and changing. I think the landscaping industry and making it a force for change here in the Metro Atlanta area will be um, will be huge for a huge win. Considering that the landscape industry is a $115 billion industry. You read that stat. That's yeah. staggering. That's, I, I, I read now. Yeah, that's good. And there's nothing wrong with that. We're not saying that you shouldn't make money. You're saying what you all are saying is that you can still have revenue, but also be good stewards of, of, the, of the earth. Yeah. So we want to focus on thought leadership. We want to focus on advocacy work. And we built an app. We have an app. It's, it's live. Of course you do. We have an app. So Roots an Down app. app. Go, <laughs> go, and, go and download that, please. Because, you know, we're trying to outreach. We're trying to do um, community building. And we're trying to tell people what we do. So, you know, follow us on Instagram. See the journey with us. And if you want to set up a time for us to talk to your community about what we have done in DeKalb County on a whole, um, 
set that up with me. We'll, we'll ha- we're happy to talk to you. I have a listener that has a question, and, and she says, uh, I know it's what she says, Rose, ask him about what would be a good starter edible plant. Oh, my gosh. I mean. Yeah, well, you know, blueberries. I love blueberries. Blueberries. Well, you know, that's the thing. Like, we don't realize. I mean, we call ourselves a peach state, but blueberries are making more money for the state of Georgia than, than I had, peaches are. I've had a conversation with a blueberry farmer. It was it's actually one of my favorite conversations ever. And blueberries don't get enough love as they should, like with the peaches and the peanuts and everything else. But yeah. so blueberries, huh? Blueberry is a great plant. It's I mean, it, it's beautiful. There's also a native variety that's more of a bush. Um, you know, um, I believe it's called a something rose, rose blush blueberry. And it's beautiful. Yeah. So blueberries are a great Does it require starter. a lot of water, sun? What, what do they need? No, here? just native soil. A lot of that clay soil that you put stuff in, put put a blueberry in it. So you put some blueberries around here? Will you assess our... I would love to. I think we should go outside. I will hold you to Not it. Not today, but we'll go out. We'll, we'll grab our human resources person we'll, and our CEO, Jennifer. And we're going to walk the grounds here. You're going to tell us what we can do to be better so that our landscaping is, is, you know, we want to be a part of the solution, not part of the problem. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. It was really, really wonderful. (laughs) And thank you, everybody who's listening from, you know, making this possible. Um, Appreciate it. Jamie, you're still in. I I end the show. Not not you, Jamie. What are you doing? Oh, my gosh. You've been here twice and already you're taking over. Jamie Rosenthal is the founder (laughs) and CEO of Roots Down. Good program. Thank you so much for taking time. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Rose. And that's it for this edition of Closer Look. Our producers are LaShawn Hudson, Daniel Razel, and Pat St. Clair. Our engineer is Kevin Rinker. He rides a bike. A reminder to let us know your thoughts on today's program or any other. So send me an email, rose at wabe.org. And, of course, if you missed any of today's program, it's online, wabe.org slash Closer Look. And, of course, Closer Look weeknights at 7 p.m. as well as in our podcast. So if you're going to download Jamie's app, download our podcast, and subscribe to Closer Look wherever you like. Now, stay tuned to 90.1 WABE Atlanta. I'm Rose Scott. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Local, state, national politics. WABE and NPR have the coverage you need. I'm Jim Burris, host of WABE's All Things Considered. Whether it's on the air at 90.1, streaming online, or connecting through our mobile app, WABE keeps you on top of election 2024 in what's sure to be a pivotal year in politics. And for candidates and ballot information, visit our election hub at wabe.org election 2024.